Welcome to The Numbers Game. I'm Jace and I'm here with Nick and Marty. How are you going today, boys? Going well, thanks, Jace. Thanks for battling through. I know you're a bit croaky there, mate. It's uh, You've got the man flu, which uh, God knows what will happen to you, but I'm sure you'll pull through. So thanks for stepping up. And uh, we've got an exciting episode today. So... Uh, well, exciting in regards to uh, borrowing and stamp duty reform. So we're going to make it exciting, put it that way. How are you, Nick? How are you going? I'm going well, thank you, Marty. Um, yet to attract the flu, although everyone else seems to be getting it at the moment, so it's probably just a matter of time. Uh, there's some lemon and ginger tea floating around our office. Um, fresh lemon and ginger tea, actually. People are actually bringing in their own ginger and lemon and honey, which is interesting. Um but yeah, all good at this stage. So agree, Marty. Good, um, uh, good to have Jace back. Looking forward to this episode. I love uh, talking about the Vic government and how useless they are. So uh, let's uh, let's get started on that. How are you, Jace? You look a million dollars. Uh, feeling better than I look, probably, or maybe <laughs> maybe feeling better than I sound. Uh, all good though. Just um, you know, as as mentioned on the potty a few weeks ago, I was enjoying the sun up in Port Douglas and just calmer in life. Sometimes just has a way to bring you back down and landed back from Port Douglas on the plane and felt my throat and went, yep, I've copped something here. So uh, nothing like a, a week at home with the flu to kind of get you feeling really good. And then at the same time, the uh, Dan Andrews and Tim Pallas came along and, you know, announced their Victorian state budget and gave us uh, plenty to get fired up and angry about. So before we jump into that, we'll always start with uh, who the episode's brought to by today, and we've got this one by Future Advisory coming into tax time in a couple of months. Um, this recording's end of May 2023, and of course, we've got people lining up at the moment ready for their tax returns and work business owners in tax planning mode. So all of your tax needs and business needs, futureadvisory.com.au. Now, boys, you guys uh, got together and did some episode planning um, as the Victorian state budget came out. I was on my deathbed. Um, but just like always, there's always something that we can get out of it that we can talk to our listeners about. And for this one, it affects a few different things. Um, but we want to probably start to talk about the stamp duty on commercial properties and industrial properties and then how that flows on and affects the the small business owners or, or the property owners that that are in our our client bases and extended networks and obviously the numbers game listeners. So um not sure who wants to jump in and, and give a bit of a summary or recap, but uh, Marty, you look excited. You look fired up. Um, why don't you start by letting us know what has happened? Always excited. You know I'm a fair guy, Jace. You know of I'm a course, fair guy. So course. I like to talk about the good news about things and also, you know, the not so good news. So this was interesting in regards to the new reform that the Vic government's bringing out in regards to commercial and industrial property. So they're basically abolishing uh, the upfront stamp duty and they're going to replace that with an ongoing land tax. Um, So this is an interesting uh, policy change. I think it actually is a good one uh, purely because notoriously it's so hard to get into commercial property because you've obviously got 6% on the stamps up front, and then usually in the past, you've found that uh, commercial property owners to invest have to put in 35% as a deposit. So I'll run through some numbers as we go. Now, on the lending side, things have got a lot more nimble where you can borrow up to 80% on your owner occupied 
property if you're buying a property to house your business in, uh, which is a good thing. Uh, but yeah, so this is an interesting change. So it means that you can now pay that land tax on the unimproved value of the land at 1% over the course of 10 years. Mm. Um, so I'll give you some numbers around it just because I like numbers. Uh, if you had a $2 million commercial property, you would usually pay 6% stamp duty up front. So that would be 125000 uh, 120000 and let me just give you the premise on the lending side too. So four or five years ago, you could only borrow up to 65% of the value of the investment. So effectively, you'd need 700 grand of capital to get into that plus 120 grand of stamps. So that's 820,000. And business owners being business owners are going, I could probably utilise that capital somewhere else in the business. So they think I may as well, yeah, I may as well lease the property. But now you can get up to 80% borrowings on the property value of the commercial property. So if the unimproved value of the land is 1.2 million, you'd be paying 12 grand a year in the land tax. And then you've got 400 grand worth of deposit that you have to put in. So basically 412,000 you're putting in upfront. So that's basically halving that capital injection required to what it probably would have been you know, overall, you know, three or four years ago. So I think that's significant. The other thing you have to look at too is that we're talking about 1% on the unimproved value of the land. So immediately the things we have to be, we have to consider is what is the value of that land going to be over the next 10 years? Mm. So that might seem equal upfront now but you also have to cost the land value and to make sure that you're not significantly out of pocket as time goes on as well. So you want to always talk to experts and professionals in order to really understand the overall impact of this type of change. So good from a point of view of capital injection is less to get into commercial property. It's a relevant investment. I think business owners always, uh, I think it's a good idea to get your own property to operate out of. Um, and then you also got to consider the longer term costs and how that impacts your business. So throw it open to yourselves, gentlemen. Uh, Nick, anything to add on that? I agree. I agree with you totally. I think, um, it's giving people the ability to get into an owner-occupied property, which I, I think is great, and get into that. And when we talk again, owner-occupied, we're talking about owner-occupied commercial. So I think anyone that ge- uh, anything that gives people the incentive to to buy a premises is great. But as always, there's always a downside. And um, the thing that I think about, and a lot of people may not know this, but industrial um, tenants generally play pay all outgoings, including uh, any government taxes such as land tax. So this is effectively going to be seen as a land tax. Um, we obviously have an existing land tax. Now on industrial property, if you've got uh, an extra land tax of say 1% a year, uh, what's, who's going to pay for that? The tenant's actually going to pay for that. So I think what you'll see is an increase in rents um, for people that are, whether they're occupying a factory or a warehouse or whatever it might be, because landlords are going to pass that on. So retail is different. Retail, the um, the landlord um, pays all the outgoings. So what I think about is I think about the top end of town. When I say that, I mean uh, fund managers who own a big pool of assets. Um, I think about 
groups where capital isn't an issue. Um, when I say capital, I mean the deposit on these properties was never an issue and it's all about the cash flow. So when these bigger groups look at buying commercial properties, it's all about cash flow, um, rents and the rate of return. So I look at this and I say, okay, well, they're going to want to get more money in um, to make an asset worth purchasing. So the thing that I fear is the people that still don't have the ability to buy, particularly in the, in the industrial space, are just going to get an increase in rent because at the moment they're paying uh, land tax of a certain amount and that's obviously going to increase. Now, who does that hurt? That, in hurt, that hurts the, 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 the small businesses that can't afford to buy. So whilst I think it is a good thing because it gets people into the market, I'm not sure if you've done the numbers or I'm assuming there is some numbers out there on what 1% of the land value looks like over 10 years versus, say, 5% of the total value at year one. Yeah, it's about about the same. Like if I work it on the land value on a $2 million property being 1.2 mil, the unimproved land value, like 1% on that is virtually the same amount over that 10-year period. However, that's not taking into account that land value increasing over that time. And that's that's what you have to consider because that could be substantially more. And I think they're repricing now, the government, as you, you talked about previously, Nick. This is the thing. And they're, they're going health or lever at the moment, revaluing everyone's land values to get, to get more money. So you know, I think there could be, the, the, although the way the government is pitching it is, you know, we spoke to small business and this is what they wanted. But I think they'd be looking at particularly commercial valuations at the moment and almost licking their lips going, geez, this is going to be a really good revenue stream for us moving forward. Um, Marty and I have a mutual client um, at the moment that we're doing some work for, owns a few factories um, in Melbourne and he was in here the other day. Uh, he's got a factory, I think he was he was renting that out at $45,000 a year um, plus outgoings to his tenant. This is not a big factory by any means. I think it's about 400, 500 square metres. He's just renegotiated that lease with the tenant at $69,000 plus outgoings. And that was a little bit under. He could, he could have got 70 to 75. Um, he did a little bit under because this guy had been in, uh, in the warehouse for quite some time. So you think about his tenant who's running a small business, all of a sudden his lease has gone from, from 49 a year to 69. So his lease has gone up. You know, just under fifty percent, hypothetically, and that's without these land tax changes. So I just worry about the people that are that are actually renting these spaces, particularly off bigger groups, whether they be super funds or property trusts, and what that's actually going to look like, because they'll be looking to recoup that money from somewhere. Jace, you're a tax expert. What do you think? Oh, look, definitely haven't had time to run all the numbers, but ultimately, definitely agree with Marty's sentiment that. You know, upfront, that amount of cash that you need to cover the stamp duty definitely helps a lot of people to not have to find that extra money. Um, from a tax perspective, that stamp duty often becomes part of the cost base of the property. So then you're talking CGT time now and you've got to wait, you know, your 10, 5, 10, 15 years until you sell the property to have that factored into what capital gain did you make and have the stamp duty actually become useful as a kind of deduction to help you pay less tax. Moving over to the annual property tax version, that's going to be an annual tax deduction. So you're going to get your tax saving up front in the year that you incur those fees. So you're not waiting 10 or 20 years to do your CGT schedule to get your benefit for the stamp duty you've shelled out. So you'll get an immediate tax benefit, you know, if that's companies, um, if that's at marginal tax rates um, and each year the profits from that um, property were distributed to an income 
earner paying tax at let's say 37 cents to the dollar, all of a sudden you're getting that tax deduction in the year that it happened rather than having to wait. So I don't mind that when you're looking at tax savings and I'm working with business owners and individuals at the moment looking for extra tax deductions to help them minimize their tax where it's genuine and they, they need to spend some money. Um, so that that's definitely fine. Don't mind that at all. So Chase, if uh, someone sells the property after five years, then they're only expensing what they've expensed on that land tax to that site. So then they haven't necessarily paid what they would be paying usually on the full upfront on the stamp duty in advance. So then that's yep. that could be a benefit if they're yeah if they're moving through properties because the next te- next owner will then start to pay that land tax and keep that obligation going for that property. So that's yep. that's interesting Correct. in itself as well. Instead of multiple people copying hundreds of thousands of dollars of stamp duty every time that property is transacted, it's just that one annual fee per year. So it definitely makes a lot more sense in that in that aspect. So um, definitely getting into the market better. Um, the longer term though, I guess, you know, as you said, Nick, where you've got portfolios that are owned and it's long-term every year copying that over and over and over again. And you've got to think, I guess, as well for the people that have already paid stamp duty in the past, once they transition into the annual property tax game as well, they're kind of getting double hit with um, that short straw of we've already paid stamp duty and then now we're outside of the 10-year bracket. Now we're on the annual ta- um, property tax uh, scheme. So they're going to get hit with that as well. Oh, that's a good point. So Marty, just explain to me how this works. So let's say I've, I've, uh, I'm buying a commercial place now. Yep. And you, if you don't know the answer to this, that's all good. But I'm buying a commercial place now. Um, I make the decision to go the, the ongoing over 10 years yep. instead of the stamp duty. I've, I've actually got the ability to make that decision. I think so. I'll have to double check, but I think, yeah, I think you have because the property carries that uh, 1% rate. So the next person coming in will then take that over. So once once a property reverts to this 1% land tax payment, it never reverts back to an upfront stamp duty ever again. Okay. So I buy the property, I hold it for 12 years. Yep. So after 10 years, I stop paying that land tax, but then someone else comes in and then that re-triggers that 10 years again? Yeah, that's the interesting one. I have to look into that, mm. what happens after 10 years, because I would think that it would just keep going. I, I mean, 10 years is there for a reason, but I think that's something I want to double check mm. because yeah. you would and think that it's just, well, maybe that's just the cap. Maybe that's just what it is at 10 years and then it caps out, which, which makes sense. 10 years for a single owner. Yeah, and then the new one comes in that ten years probably resets because yeah. that then uh, that then I guess covers any stamp duty that would have been payable because it would have been payable again. Yeah, look again, I just I just worry this will all be. I think the stamp duty saving up front will all become um, forgotten about when it comes to negotiating leases, and I, you know, I can see the the losers out of this being the tenants. Um, as people, well, as landlords need more cash flow. Nick, do you think by, let's say, obviously rents are going to go up, then does the tenant then go, well, maybe I'm better off buying property? Now, that's not always going to be you know, the, the equivalent, I think, price, but I go, is that going to be an encouragement for people to get into property for that benefit? Yeah, 100%, mate. Couldn't agree more. And I, I think it's kind of what we're seeing now, with the resi space, um, it's it's so difficult to rent that people are just saying it's all too hard to rent. I'm just going to see if I can buy. Um, 
I think the challenge with buying a commercial premises is it's attached to your business generally. So a commercial owner-occupied premises, if you're not coming in purely from an investment point of view, which a lot of people just aren't in that commercial investment space, you're coming in as an owner-occupier. Now, if that if that premises is attached to your business and what you're doing is a business, at times it can actually hamstring your business. Um, have seen this personally, um, bought an office that was big enough. All of a sudden it wasn't. So we had to get the office next door. All of a sudden that wasn't big enough either. And to be transparent, if I had my time again, I would have never bought the office because I think it it hamstrung us to that particular office um, as a business location for too long. So there's other factors outside of the investment um, you know, what if you don't have your business and you don't need that warehouse anymore or that office anymore? Do you still want the assets? So I think there's there's a lot more decisions that need to be made outside of I will just buy because it makes sense, you know, because of the stamp duty issue. Um, then it's a matter of well, do we want this asset if we're not running the business? Is our business going to be able to grow with this asset? We can't really be nimble if we own it. We can't just go and get another lease because we actually own the asset. We've got to put another tenant in. A lot of the times the fact that you've got to re-tenant it will stop you from moving out. Um, so, But on, on the surface, yeah, I agree with you. I think people will look at it now if they've got the ability to and we're ever thinking about buying commercial, um, why wouldn't you do it now, particularly what's happening with the values. But that's that's where the professionals come in, like in giving that advice, because again, you want to know the business's long term plan, and and like you said, it's when you think about rents going up, yeah, how feasible is that? But you still have to be in that position where if you are going to tenant that out to an investor down the track, that it makes sense as well. So the, these are all the conundrums and opportunities mm. you've got to work through in order to get to a, a strong decision on it. Uh, Jace, anything to add on that? Well, not on that. I think rounded that out perfectly and just adds to something different to think about and obviously dealing with experts when it comes to then the mortgage side of buying a commercial property as well as the cash flow forecasting, you know, and everything else that you do as a as an investor and a business owner before you make those decisions. It's just, again, changing the game. Just got to think about it a little bit differently and do what you usually do and forecast it out. There was a couple of other ones, uh, interesting things that came out of the budget just to round out the budget before we might talk about a couple of the borrowing changes that are really interesting um, that you guys might want to bring to the table. But one of the other ones that I found interesting was the uh, lowering of the threshold for land tax. I actually didn't realize how many properties it affected. So the land tax threshold was $300,000 in the value of the, the property or the land the land um, that you own as, a, as an investor. They've dropped that to $50,000. So you can imagine that probably captures almost every single you know, property wasn't being captured. It actually affects 380,000 homeowners, um, which I think is a huge number. So you can imagine the- That's residential? Yeah, this is land tax, yeah, on residential. So um, anyone who had an investment property that was being rented out, that was, you know, maybe a a small apartment or a small unit townhouse um, that was low value and wasn't copying land tax is now likely to be picked up under land tax. So there's an extra year, 380,000 homes that are going to get hit with land tax. That's that's a disgrace. Like, again, people trying to get ahead and they're saying, you know, there's, yeah, we need more rental properties. We need people mm-hmm. to be investing in property to provide homes. Um, that's a total disincentive. So where I see some upside on the commercial side, I think that move is an absolute disgrace and, um yeah, I, there's nothing more to say on that from yeah. me. Uh, I just don't like that at all. 
It's yeah. just, to me, it's wrong. Any policy that's introduced that is making people that have tried to get ahead in life that are now thinking about selling assets because of the tax mm-hmm. attached to it is absolutely ridiculous. And what kind of state are we living in that where there's a disincentive to try and get ahead? Yeah. Now, there's a certain word that's attached to that, and I'll let everyone at home think about what that is. But <laughs> the reality is it doesn't make sense to buy properties at the moment. Like it's just, mm. of course, it. There's the long-term view, but people are looking at, okay, well, you know, you can talk about negative gearing. Well, negative gearing's on a little bit back of what you're down. So forget about that being a big incentive to buy. You know, all the media is talking about um, rental increases and how much, you know, the landlords are getting back in rent. Well, I can tell you now the average um, landlord mortgage repayment has gone up $1,000 a month and the average rent received has gone up around 250 a month. So there's a 750 a month gap there. So there's no incentive just because the rents have gone up. And now you've got something like this where the cash flows are already um, hindered because of um, the reduction, or sorry, the increase in uh, interest rates. Now you've got more land tax. Mm. Um, I don't know. The only upside that I can see here for existing investors is their houses are going to be worth more mm. because who's going to want to build anymore? You've got immigration coming in, more people need to rent. And there's a disincentive to actually produce more property. Yep. Um, developers have got to pay that much in costs. Um, this whole cladding issue, you know, mm. like how much have the government put in this cladding issue? And we're already like the fire ratings on our properties were world class. Yeah. Some of the stuff, like some of the buildings that went up, the fires were put out by sprinklers once it got past the first level, which is what exactly what the code, the bill, the fire code was there to do. Meanwhile, they're pumping millions and millions of dollars, and I think it's a billion dollars, into trying to fix this cladding issue. So why would you want to buy a property at the moment, seriously, unless you've got the ability to improve it? Um, it's getting very difficult for the mum and dad investor who have got to fund a weekly shortfall to maintain that property over a long term to get, good, uh, to, to get a good return. And now you are more than ever banking on high capital growth um, to get some kind of return. And so are the government. Yeah. This is what gets me is it, mm. like they know that that capital growth will increase because just the amount of immigrants coming in over the next, you know, particularly in Melbourne, over the next uh, 12 months to 18 months. Um, and, yeah, and they're gouging now while they can and they know there's going to be an upside on that gouge into the future. And, again, I just don't see – I just see – why would – why wouldn't you go and invest in other states? Mm-hmm. So whereas yep. they're encouraging the commercial side, um, I just go, I just don't understand. This is where the majority of the market is in the resi mm-hmm. space, that people are trying to get ahead, you know, just everyday people. So I just think this was just poorly thought out. Yeah. Uh, well, that one, the the land tax one, that one there is uh, meant to be a COVID uh, relief one or, or temporary, but like anything the government does, these temporary things sometimes uh, find a way to linger around longer than what they're meant to. Payroll tax threshold mm. went up to a million. Yes, yes. So that's um, – Nick, Nick, what a joy. 700,000 to 900,000 to July mm. 24. 900, was it? Yeah, well, nine hundred phases to nine hundred thousand from July twenty four, and then from a million from July twenty five. Uh, but yeah. once again, Victoria is the most expensive. You know, comparing to the East Coast, New yeah. South Wales, and Queensland, Victoria is by far the most expensive state to impl- to to give people jobs to have employees. So 
such a great idea to just give that to the government instead yeah. of employing another person. What a, what a well, it's, only, it's only gone up at the higher end of town anyway, hasn't it? So it's getting it back there. Yeah, the higher end of town, payroll tax has gone up for the higher end um, and then thresholds are actually going up for small business. So if you're approaching the 700000 amount and you're thinking I'm not going to give anyone else a job or there's no pay rises because we're about to tip over into payroll tax land, um, if you can hold off for a year, you'll get to nine hundred thousand from July twenty four, and then <laughs> you'll get pay after rises. That, you'll, yeah, so it might be a way of uh, negotiating your pay rises and locking <laughs> people in for a year and uh, push kicking that up. Uh, well, getting rid of that payroll tax can rather than kicking it down the road. But Chase, just you mentioning that again shows you how stupid it is. Like mm. you would rather invest that into your people than than mm. do that. Oh man! Anyway, to make an extra five percent. They're really foregoing hypothetically somewhere between 20 and 30% mm. to give me the incentive to hire a new person. Yep. 100%. Exactly. This is why these people aren't in business. Yeah. And look, they, they could do that too. And I think they had it during COVID that between 2021 and 2022, whatever percentage of wages you increased, they gave you the same percentage discount off your payroll tax bill. Now, if that was the incentive every year for a growing business to hire more people and they would reduce your payroll tax bill, wouldn't that be a nice little thank you for growing your business and giving people more jobs? Makes sense. That was a little one-off COVID bloody grant and um, now they're going the other way and trying to suck all that money back in. So uh, what was nice a few years ago is now we're we're feeling the pain for that. And final one for me to add in before I will ask you guys to to touch base on this borrowing uh, capacity changes. And this is a big one for all business owners out there to pay attention to. Um, When you're looking at your 23-24 uh, forecast, you're running your budget, you're doing your numbers, one of the biggest line items that you will need to look at is your work cover insurance premium. So we've got a business that pays, let's say an example, um, they pay hundred grand in work cover premiums. They've got a big team, they're doing a risky job. That's now likely to go up to 142000 next year, just a, just a crisp 42% increase on your work cover premiums on average. So again, depends on the industry you're in. Obviously us white collar workers, um, you know, a few risks of paper cuts and things, but we, our premiums won't be as dramatic. Um, but for anyone, trades, construction, high risk industries, um, have a, have a look at your work cover premiums because they are set to increase by 42%. Uh, any idea what's driving that? Uh, claims. There's just been a huge year yeah. of claims. Um, Purely claims. Yeah, it's, it's, cl- it's claims related in a sense that they've just had a ridiculous amount of people on work cover um, through work cover mm. Victoria. That may be, look, I think as well when you look into that it's not just physical injuries. There are people that are on stress leave and mental health related work cover claims. And over the last couple of years, we know what's happened in Victoria. We don't have to go and say it and all read between the lines, but there is a lot of people that are on work cover right now that aren't back at work due to multiple reasons. And what that's doing is it's mm. now again forcing the Victoria government to push that cost back to business owners and make them mm. wear the cost of everything that's happening mm. in our state right now. Yeah, so it's so we're paying for their COVID stuff up. <laughs> we're paying for the cladding issue that I don't think is really an issue and most people will that know the circumstances don't think the cladding issue is such an issue. What else have they stuffed up, Marty, that we're paying for? Mate, I, I could go on for the next two hours and we haven't got two hours, but how this bloke is still in <laughs> is just, I just can't believe it. Like even the kids coming out of schools, it's like they missed two years. I think the 
the mental health issues. There was a great podcast, last podcast with John Pearl, but mm. just the resilience uh, in people you know, coming into work and performing at their best has been challenged because of those circumstances as well. So it's like trying to turn a Titanic and it will turn and things will you know, get back to normal. But the, you know, just the, the damage that's been done throughout various different sectors and for people, I think, uh, can't be underestimated here. So, and I'm not, look, I'm not political at all, but I, you know, but this is like, yeah, we can see the fallout across many different areas and now we're paying for it. Yeah, big yeah. time. Nick, <laughs> give us some good news. Uh, what's happening with the lender buffers? Yeah, and I'm wary of time, so I'll make this reasonably quick and Marty might have some gold here as well. But um, one of the biggest issues we're seeing at the moment, and we've been seeing since the interest rate increases, it's people's ability to borrow based on their income. So that's called your, your serviceability. So how much money can you borrow based on your gross income? When the banks look at how much you can borrow, they, they had a buffer rate in there, which is driven by the regulators. And at the moment, that's 3%. So Jace, if you and Case want to buy a house and your interest rate was 5.5%, the banks will want to see that you can, um, you can make those repayments if the rates go up to 8.5%. Wow. Makes sense. Yep. Seems smart. Okay, what if the rates go up? We want to make sure they're not going to get in trouble. Um, what's happened now is given the rates hypothetically are at the peak of the cycle or very close to it, it's there's there's discussion that maybe that three percent is a little bit um a little bit of there's a little bit of overkill there. So when the rates are two percent and you've got to demonstrate that you can repay the rates at five percent, that makes total sense to me because two percent's too cheap. When they're at pushing towards six so and you've got to show nine percent and we're already at the top you would be pretty comfortable we're not going to get too many more rate rises and that you and case don't need to demonstrate serviceability at nine percent interest rate so the first thing that's happened is westpac were the first to come out they're saying they're actually reducing that buffer rate from three percent down to one percent so if your home loan rate is six percent you've now got to only demonstrate that you can repay the debt at seven percent wow Westpac's reasoning behind that was um, this mortgage prison word that's floating around, which is you know people not being able to refinance into a better rate because they can't show serviceability anymore because they've got to show serviceability at hypothetically 9%. If someone just is simply refinancing doing and doing nothing else, uh, Westpac will, will let you do that um, at a reduced buffer rate of 1%. So it just gives people gives people more freedom to move in between loans um, if serviceability was an issue. Second to that, there are some smaller lend- lenders, and this is what we often see when lending gets tighter. You'd, you'll generally see smaller lenders um, who can be more nimble come out um, with, um, with policies that will help attract business. So there's a couple of lenders that are now coming out and saying, well, we've dropped our rate our buffer rate to 2% across the board. So whether that's a purchase or you need to move from one bank to another uh, for a better refinance rate or you need to increase your loan um, to put a new kitchen in or do a renovation, we're now 2% because we think the rates are at the top of the peak of the cycle and we think a 2% buffer is more than enough for us to be comfortable our clients are going to be able to afford their repayments. So the reality is it just gives people more ability to borrow. Um, it's good for the property market. It means instead of maybe being able to lend 700, people can now lend 750, 760 um, because a lot of people are getting um, priced out of property or not having the ability to borrow because of that buffer rate. So it was only a matter of time. What will be interesting now is to see which lenders follow suit. Um, today's being the 29th of, 
of May that we're recording this, and there's already been uh, quite a few lenders um, come out that have followed suit. Um, the big thing for me will be whether or not the regulators, which is APRA, um, who set these guidelines. The banks are allowed to go out these guidelines, but they need to have a good reason. So what will be interesting is if the regulator actually comes in now and does something and actually officially drops what their guidance is. Um, but it's a good news story. It uh, means people can refinance into better rates and it means those people were maybe on the borderline of serviceability for being able to purchase the property they wanted to, um, hopefully we'll now have some options with some smaller lenders. So Yeah, well said, Nick. Mm-hmm. I think uh, Liberty, ANZ um, and AFG have come out on that 1% buffer rate for refinances, which is really good. So I think the trend has been set. All will follow. Uh, this is great news because our whole purpose, our whole life is based on putting people's uh, best interests at heart and there is no way that you should be stopped from getting a better rate uh, because of that buffer rate. If you're putting someone in a better position and their income supports that from you know being able to, you know, they're paying what they're paying now. So uh, I, I'm fully on board with that. I think it's a great idea and we've just given the key to unlock the mortgage prison, which is... Uh, we don't need to hear that term hopefully ever again if we're doing the right thing by people and this is a policy in the right direction. And I think you're right, Nick. I think other lenders will follow even on a 2% buffer rate for new purchases. Uh, Resimac's done that at the moment. I think that would be wise because, uh, again, you can't have people you know, earning 100, 125 grand and only able to borrow 400. Yeah. I mean, it just... It doesn't doesn't make sense. I mean, it's whereas they could have borrowed probably about seven eight hundred going back eighteen months ago. So it's a significant hit. Uh, so we have to have some we have to have some reasoning around this, particular at the top end of the interest rate cycle, um, to allow people to do what they need to do, and also to support people to put them into better positions. Uh, I think that's the main uh, main lesson out of this. So yeah. Good, a good move to the positive there. Jace, excited about that? Oh, guys, 100%. And it was just so good to finish on some good news after what we just went through earlier in the episode. Every now and then we have to do it. We have to bring the news to the people. But uh, I like that you guys found a way to can bring... Can we get Dan Andrews on? Is that, is, can, oh, we, can we do, do that? Do we want can him you... on? I mean, we hey? could. Oh, yeah. 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 All right. you, can count, you can count me out of that chat, mate. Right. No, I'll, I'll take it while I want. Done. <laughs> tell you I want. Marty V and the hard questions to Danny A. So let's I'll get send you the way. highlights reel of my arms swinging. It's like a, a KO <laughs> mini. I, I just want all the good stuff in like five minutes. Oh, KO mini. I know what you do on the weekend, Nico. Recapping the uh, Adelaide win over the Brizzy Lions. Anyway, before we get off topic... Everybody, thank you for listening. It's been another episode of The Numbers Game. Uh, Glad to finish on some great news there, Nick and Marty. And then apart from that, make sure you're planning for your future when it comes to all things nasty state taxes. Uh, Until next time, though. Game over. Game over.